This is always a good sight, huh? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for being here this weekend, Kristen. Kristen Anderson from Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> thank you. We, uh, we broke her in right. The first thing we did was we took her over to the diner. <laughs> right? Yeah. We've been there twice. We were there last night till about midnight. You've been such a trooper with us. We, um, Kristen spoke at all the different venues on Friday night at 1307 and uh, was here till about 1130 or so. And then last night with um, the homeless service here, candlelit, just kind of a great, great time of worship here and, and such. And then took her down into the, the chaos of 250 junior high kids tanked up on Mountain Dew, <laughs> which, was, which was a great time. And you were just so powerful and so clear. The, mm -hmm. the kids really listened, and the gospel was presented. And we just appreciate the fact that you're here with us this weekend. So It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You've been a real blessing. Um, can you... Uh, just kind of start out by telling us a little bit about your childhood, growing up in Chicago, suburban kid, a church kid, and um, kind of leading up to your teenage years. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that part of your story? Sure. I had a very pretty normal childhood. My parents were, thankfully, they were always married. I didn't have a lot of trials or tragedies in my life. I had an older brother and an older sister. I was never abused as a child. We went to church every single Sunday. I went to youth group, Sunday school, all of it. And my childhood memories are very happy and, you know, just great, really. I, I remember smiling, laughing a lot. I remember thinking that life would always be really, really great and happy. But once I got into junior high, I started to realize that the world just wasn't as great as I thought it was, and people weren't as genuine as I thought they were, and I really started to struggle with that. But when I went into high school, I kind of put that in the back of my mind because I didn't know what to do to kind of make a difference in the world, or, or I knew I couldn't, like, solve all the world's problems. So I just tried to focus on myself, making my, myself, my family, and my friends happy. Your book is such a great read, and the first word in your book haunted me for a long while and um, can you talk a little bit about it the, the first word is just you write numb period and and we can all identify with that but then you go to unpack that can you talk a little bit about that what what was that about you grew up in kind of an idyllic childhood and then and then your heart goes numb what what did you mean during my junior and senior years of high school I lost three of my friends um, for three different reasons I uh, they all passed away, as well as my grandmother. And during that same period of time, within a two-year period, I lost, um, it, I think I told you, the people that I lost, but I was also being stalked by two men, and I was raped by another. And this just really um, kind of devastated me, all of it. I didn't really know how to handle it. The pain just really overwhelmed me. And more and more, I just went numb. I felt like I couldn't I couldn't handle the pain, so I just went numb inside. I kind of died inside is another way that I describe it. I just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah, and you use such powerful words, in, especially after the rape. You, you said that you felt small, powerless, weak, violated, and different. Especially were different. What, what, did, what did you mean? I just felt like I wasn't who I was before I was raped or before all those things happened. I felt like... I was never going to be the same again, and I just didn't know what to do about that. I didn't know how to, how to feel or move forward anymore because I, I just knew that I was different and things weren't going to be the same and anymore. You, and then you talk about pushing your emotions right. and the pain 
how'd you put it, like down into a corner, a deep corner of your heart. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, everything that I was feeling, I just didn't know. I didn't talk to anybody about how I was feeling. I wanted to kind of pretend like everything was okay. I kind of thought that if I did that, things would somehow turn out okay. But in doing that, I pushed everything really down deep into my heart and really just tried to ignore it, run from it. I wanted to believe that most of it didn't happen, but there's no way that you can really change what, what has actually happened. So pushing it down really just made the problems much worse in my life. Mm. And I know you, you saw a number of people, like you saw a psychiatrist at one point, and I think you said he spent like 12 minutes with him and he gave you a, a bottle of medicine. Right. And, and what, what leading up to the suicide attempt, um, was anything helpful? Well, it's, there were, I, I had a lot of friends. That was helpful. I had, I had a good family, but I wasn't telling people about how I was feeling. Nobody knew how bad I was doing because I had kept a smile on my face. So I think there was help available to me, but I wasn't reaching out for help. And I didn't really know how depressed I was. I w couldn't have told you I was suicidal. I had no idea how hopeless I had become. So it was hard to get help without me knowing myself well enough or being honest with myself. And, and then the suicide attempt. Can, can you tell us that story that night? Yeah, one, one night. It was my senior year of high school. The day before, I was supposed to go back to school off Christmas break. And um, I lay down on a set of train tracks near my parents' home um, very impulsively, just in a moment of desperation, in a moment of hopelessness, thinking that I couldn't take the pain anymore, thinking that I couldn't face my life anymore, thinking that I didn't have anything to live for. There's no reason for me to be here. I, I remember I just pushed on the fear and the shame as I lay down on the tracks and tried, tried to brace myself for what was to come with the train coming over me, hoping that I would die and hopefully go to heaven. But when the train went over me, what I first felt was I felt it begin to suck me upward almost into itself, which is basically what should have happened. I should have been torn to pieces, but very quickly after that, I felt this force begin to push me down into the ground and hold me there. And I really believe that was God protecting me because obviously my injuries are very different. I didn't get torn to pieces. But when the train stopped, um, I started to open my eyes and clench my fists and try and figure out what had just happened. And when I looked behind me to my right, about 10 feet behind me, on my right I saw my legs. And I knew they were my legs because they had these brand new bright white tennis shoes on them that I'd just gotten for Christmas. But it just felt like it was incredibly surreal. I couldn't believe that this was happening. And I started crying because I realized that my legs were gone and I saw the blood and it just became really real to me. I cried harder than I'd ever cried in my life. But in that moment, this tremendous peace just completely covered me and I started hearing the song Amazing Grace play over and over and over in my mind. And I didn't really understand what was happening. I thought maybe it was music from heaven and I was dying. I had lost enough blood, but I, but, but I really think that God was just meeting me in that moment and showing me that he was there, that he was going to help me, and that he was real. And, and looking back on that moment, I really see what God was doing that night in my life. And then you're rushed to the hospital, and that was a miracle in and of itself. And, and there uh, you are, and I would imagine you were even more struggling, more depressed now. Is that the way it was in the hospital? Yeah, I mean, my, my thoughts were kind of conflicted because I knew that I was 
lucky to be alive. I knew that I had lost eight pints of blood, and you're supposed to die after you lose five. I knew with how many freight train cars went over me that I, I shouldn't have survived. Um, so in a way, I was a little bit grateful to be alive, but I struggled with a depression and suicidal thoughts after my attempt much more than I ever had before. I was in psych wards um, on the anniversary of my suicide attempt three years in a row, and I really just didn't understand how I was still going to get through my life. A lot of people worried if she wanna, didn't want to live her life with her legs, how is she going to live her life without her legs? And that was a really hard thing for me. On top of all the other problems I had before my suicide attempt, I now really multiplied them with not having my legs and everything that came with that. So you're three times in a psychiatric hospital in a psychiatric ward. And, and for the longest while, you, isn't it true you didn't remember trying to commit suicide, that you didn't think you did, that is that true? Right. For the first year, I didn't remember doing it. Everybody else around me had heard from the police that it was a suicide attempt, but because I didn't remember doing it, it was really hard for me to accept that. It wasn't something I ever thought I would do. It wasn't something I ever planned to do. It just was something really that I never thought I could do. So hearing it was really, really hard for me to accept. The only way that I began to understand and believe and accept that I had did it was once I started having flashbacks and I started remembering that night. Can you share with us a little bit, Kristen, about um, you're coming to discover who Jesus is in the midst of, of a tragedy like that? Yeah, after I got out of the hospital, I was really struggling with whether or not I would have went to heaven or hell if I died. I just wanted to know where I would have been right then if I would have died because I knew that I should have died. And I was really searching for the answers, but not really finding them. And then I found out that um, a couple was coming to have dinner with my family just to encourage us. And the husband of the couple was in seminary to be a pastor. And I figured talking to him was my opportunity to talk to somebody who knew the Bible more than anybody else that I knew if he thought I would have went to heaven or hell if I died. And I asked him, and he told me that every single one of us were created to be in a very real and personal and intimate relationship with God. But because of our sin and the wrong things that we've done, we are separated from God both relationally and eternally. And that's why Jesus died for us, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be reunited with God, so we can be put back into a right relationship with him and spend eternity in heaven with him. But we have to choose to accept Jesus and his forgiveness for our sins and let him lead our lives. And when he told me all of this, I didn't understand it completely, but I knew that what he was telling me was something more true than anything I'd ever heard in my life. But I didn't want to just take his word for it, so I asked him to show me it in the Bible. And he showed me John 14, 6, among many other verses, but this is the one that stood out to me the most. And that's where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I just felt like Jesus couldn't have been more clear that he was the way to God. He was the way to truth. He was the way to life and the way to heaven. And I knew that I that I didn't have a relationship with God. I knew that I was a sinner, especially after my suicide attempt. And I knew that I never made a decision to accept Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I didn't ever make that decision. I didn't know I needed to make that decision. So sitting on the floor in my parents' dining room, I just prayed the most simple prayer to accept Jesus into my heart for the forgiveness of my sins and to enter into a relationship with God. And I asked him to give me a new life, and that is really exactly what he did. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise, having been in church all my life, but you, you never heard that in church? 
No, I mean, I, heard, I believe that God was real. I believe that Jesus was the son of God. I learned that, but I never knew that there was a relationship that I was created to be in with God, and that, that was the most important thing that I needed in my life, and I didn't know that there was a choice I needed to make to accept Jesus. I just thought that he died for my sins and the sins of the world, so we would all go to heaven. I didn't know that I needed to make a decision to accept his forgiveness. And once you did that, I, I know in your book, um, in fact, I even wrote down the page. It's like page one. 16 or 119 rather um, that you use for the first time the word peace Mm -hmm. that you found in that moment in Christ peace What, what did you mean by that after I became a Christian that night I remember falling to sleep just feeling uh, like something was lifted off my shoulders, like I didn't have to worry anymore, like I was in God's hands now, and he was going to take care of everything. I just felt like things were going to be different from then forward, and I didn't need to worry anymore. Um, And and yet things didn't just suddenly get better. Um, In fact, isn't it true that you were in the psychiatric ward those times after you gave your life to Christ, that the struggle continued. Right, I struggled with suicidal thoughts and depression even more after my suicide attempt and becoming a Christian than I did before. So it was a really hard time for me. I didn't really know how to have my a relationship with God, even though I had one. I didn't have the really close relationship with him that I longed for and that I needed. And I didn't know who, who I was or why I was here, really. I just was still struggling a lot. We, even regarding with having my legs lost and the things that happened before my attempt. And at one point, you decided to be more specific and more intentional about change in your life. Right. And this was sometime after you had given your life to Christ. And, and you actually made a list, didn't you, of things that you wanted to see different in your life. And I appreciate the fact you put that in your book. I mean, that list is is right there. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I wrote a list of of a lot of the little things that I knew were really important to my life and to my relationship with God that I knew would make a big difference in my life. And some of those things were finding a new church and getting really connected there, finding Christian friends in that church that I could really um, surround myself with and who would help me grow spiritually. I wanted to start reading the Bible every single day and just praying more regularly throughout the day. And there's a couple other things um, regarding my physical health that I put on there that I knew would help me. Um, Just eating regularly and getting up in the morning every single day because when you're depressed, sometimes you don't want to get up in the morning. So I just started to be a lot more disciplined um, with my life. Instead of pushing things off or waiting for my life to just fix itself, I started to be a lot more intentional. And a lot of those things were the things that I knew God wanted me to do, and I started just following him in all those things. And yet, throughout it all, the pain remained, um, especially the physical pain. And you you used the phrase at one point um, where you just said, at one point, I just came to peace. In fact, I I need to tolerate this pain. What do you mean by that? Well, my physical pain never really subsided. I I am always in pain. Um, And my doctors told me that I would be on um, pain meds for the rest of my life. I was on a lot of medication those first three years. Um, But as I was growing in my relationship with God, I, I started to feel like he could give me everything that I needed to handle the pain that I was in. And I was able, with my doctor's approval, to get off of all my pain meds. And he really did give me everything that I needed to, just the strength and the the peace. Um, The more that I held on to him, the less I felt like I needed any kind of medicine um, to deal with my pain. Now, you have been sort of 
as I understand it, thrust into quite a life here. You know what I mean? And, and ministry, um, Kristen has told me about her schedule coming up over the month. You're traveling all over the country. You just got back from Germany, you know, speaking everywhere. I, uh, one of the striking things the last two nights is I kept looking over at you, and there's a circle of students around you and, and just pouring out their hearts to you. You're hearing a lot of pain. Um, I mean, I've been in youth ministry a long, long while, and kids are struggling, you know. So if a student or, or even an adult came to you, as I watched them do over the last 48 hours, and, and, and shared with you a painful thing in their life, um, uh, depression, thoughts of suicide, what, what would you say to them? What have you been saying to them? Some of the biggest things that I want anyone to know who is struggling with depression or suicide is that they are not alone. A lot of times you feel like you are the only one who feels the way that you do, but there are so many more people, and I want you to know that there is hope for you, that God has an amazing plan for your life. And if you will reach out to others for help and share what you're going through, that will be really helpful. But especially if you reach out to God, he will meet you there. If you seek him, the Bible says you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. And I just want them to know that they, they don't need to give up, that suicide is not the answer, that Jesus really is the way um, out of the pain and the depression that they're going through. He really has an amazing life and amazing plans for them. Yeah, definitely so. And, and the verse that's in your book, I just love, I wrote it down here. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future out of Jeremiah. That, that verse is really something that, that we've taken serious here, and it's something that you've claimed, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's like my favorite verse in the whole Bible, because even when I didn't ho have hope for myself, I knew that God had hope for me. Even when I didn't have plans for myself, I knew that he had plans and a future for me. And, and it's amazing for me to look back now in the time that I didn't know what those were and to see them come into fruition in this time in my life because he, he really does have amazing plans for all of us no matter who we are. Sometimes we think only God only has a plan for special people, you know, like, and that's how I used to feel, but I, w I couldn't have been more wrong or farther from the truth. He has a really special and amazing plan for every single one of us. So you just used the word amazing a couple times there, <laughs> and in just a moment, Chris and the band are going to come up and do Amazing Grace, and that song, you know, you mentioned it in your story a moment ago, but tell us a bit about, more about what's with that song that's so special to you. Well, I heard that song when I was on the tracks, and I feel like God really just met me that, that night and showed me how real and personal he was, and looking back to me, I feel like that, that song is just an illustration of what he's done in my life. It was only by his amazing grace that I lived physically. It was only by his grace that I have um, found new life spiritually, and it's only by his grace that I have the peace and the joy and the love for life that I have now, so I just am amazed by his grace. I just feel like that's almost like my love song with God, and I, I, I hope that everybody else can know him in that amazing way because his grace is, is um, priceless. That it is. Hey, thank you so much for being here this weekend. I uh, just am so grateful that you've been, and let's say thank you to Kristen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so fun. <laughs> it is good. Thank you, I gotta tell you, I've had a great time this week. It's just been so fun being with you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all the ways that you surprise us and you overwhelm us with your love and your grace and your mercy. 
And um, that's true in that great hymn that we're about to sing, and it's clearly evidently true in Kristen's life as you took her and redeemed her and put her in a good place with you. And you've done that for us all. And some of us have acknowledged that and recognized that and, and brought you into our lives as you've knocked on the door of our heart, Jesus. And maybe some here have not. And if there's one here that have never has never responded to your powerful voice, to your, your persistent knock on their heart, God, would you give them the courage and the strength to and the trust and the faith to to say yes to you, that it might happen now, as it did for Kristen, as it did for me, as it has for so many of us. And we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name.